This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. And amen. If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Revelation. Chapter 21, verse 5. We'll have it on the screen for those of you that don't have your Bible. Uh, If you do need a Bible, feel free to let us know. We'd love to get you a Bible. I was told today that we actually ran out of all of our Bibles uh, at this Connect Center because we've given them out, which is awesome. So we will be getting more Bibles in by next Sunday. I promise you this. But For those of you that have your Bible, you can open it up or swipe with me to Revelation 21, verse 5, and it says this, Behold, I am making all things new. This has been the primary verse for this series that we've been in called Renewal. Renewal is about God doing new things in your life. It's about him renewing our thinking in areas where we need to become transformed. The Bible says that we are to be transformed by the renewal of, of our minds, meaning there's something that God wants to do with the way that we think our thoughts that causes us to live our lives. I believe Jesus wants to do new things in our thought life. He wants to shift paradigms this year. Ways that you thought last year are no longer going to help you and what God wants you to think into and believe with him into in 2021 because Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is not interested and how great your mission trip went 15 years ago. He's not interested in how great it was that you fed the poor in 2020. He's not interested in what you did yesterday even. He's interested in what you're going to do today because he's making all things new. This is a present tense reality for God's people. And the invitation for us as God's people is to embrace it, is to say, God, if you have new things in store for me, then I want everything that you can give me. I don't know about you guys, but I want everything that the Lord has for me in 2021. I don't want to look back on this year like I did last year and feel the same way I felt last year. I want to grab a hold of every promise for my life. And I believe that the Lord wants us to lean into this Revelation 21 verse 5 reality tonight. We also hear God's heartbeat for renewal reinforced by what the Apostle Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I believe God is interested in making old things new. He's interested in taking our old creation and turning it into new creation in him, praise God. And I think that means that we need to allow him to challenge certain hurts and habits and hang-ups in our life certain ways of thinking that aren't going to get us to where we're called to go. There are some ways of thinking rooted in your old life before you became a Christian or a Christ follower or a friend of Jesus that has to change. Meaning some of you, when you got saved, you took all of the way of doing life and you just added Jesus to it. (laughs) You said, you know what? I'm going to keep doing my thing my way, but praise God that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. Amen. All right. And that's where you are. And if that's where you are, no judgment. We're happy that that's where you're at. But I want to tell you this. God has more for you. God has more for you. For some of you, you've been following Jesus your whole life. Uh, Many of you for 20, 30 plus years. I've been following Jesus for 35 years now. 
I'm almost 40. Praise God, I'm almost able to give old man talks, which is amazing. I've got wisdom and grayness and my beard coming in. It's awesome. I finally qualify for the elder status, whatever that means. But I've been following Jesus for 35 years, and I can tell you this, I'm still a toddler in the ways of God. I'm still like a little baby jumping around in a little wading pool. All right, at least that's how it feels at times. Like I've got the waders on and I'm like, yay, I can swim. And God's like, no, you can't, but you're so cute. You just go on, you just keep splashing away, you know? And for many of us, that's really how it is. We're just starting to scratch the surface of what it means to follow Jesus courageously in the earth. And so I believe a part of how God wants to help us do that is by redeeming things and reconciling things and renewing things in our lives, in our mindsets. It's hard for a man to be anything he ought to be until he has to be. Can I say that again? It's hard for a person or a woman to be anything that she ought to be until she has to be. Meaning for many of us, the invitation to become new sounds great, but it's hard for us to step into it until we have to, until there's no other choice but for us to surrender to God and to surrender to his, his life and desires for us. I know for many of you, when you first came to Christ, you did so because you were at rock bottom. And it was the last move that you could make. It was like, God, if you don't save me, I'm going to drown. Anybody can relate to that? I can relate to that, certainly. And there have been times throughout my life, even as a Christian, where I can and have related to that. But tonight I want us to shift our focus from God just being the savior of our life to God being the one that holds the keys to our life. And a message that I'm calling, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Jesus came announcing a different kind of life, a different kind of kingdom. It didn't look like Rome. It didn't look like what the Jews had done. It didn't look like what Syria and Babylon and all these other civilizations had done before. It looked completely different than what all the people were expecting it to look like. When Jesus showed up on the scene, the Jews had believed a Messiah would come and they wanted him to come so that he could overthrow the emperor and establish his political kingdom with all of his rule and rights and put the world to rights and correct all the injustices and make everything great for everyone. But Jesus came as a lowly, humble servant king, born to two poor little peasant people. And he subverted the expectations of all of those that had been studying Torah and looking to the scriptures the way that you and I do even. And he came and he said, you've heard, you said, he said things like this, you've heard it said, but I'm here to say to you. And then he would mess with their world. And in the same way, I think that God still wants to do the same with his church today. For many of us who have been Christians or Christ followers, and we've been a part of what the church has been doing in the earth, at least as Americans and as Westerners, so much of our expectation that we place on God is limited by our experience here in the, in the U.S., there are Christians right now all throughout the world that are being persecuted for their faith, where to say, Jesus, I want you to come and do a new thing in my life and to confess him as Savior and Lord is going to cost them their head. There are people in Egypt who face persecution every day for this reality. There are people throughout Syria, in Iran, and China, and even in places like Venezuela 
and other places throughout the world that are experiencing persecution like you and I couldn't even imagine. And so here we are tonight, and we've been given this amazing opportunity in this amazing place to seek God freely and openly, to worship him without fear that people are going to come through those doors with machetes and chop our heads off. But right now, in northern Africa, that is the reality that most Nigerians face when they gather to worship. So when they sing songs like, you stepped into my Egypt and you pulled me by the hand, they're not just speaking metaphorically. They're literally praying and believing that God will be the rescuer that keeps them from death. And even if not, they're willing to lay down their lives anyways because they believe that there's something more to this life than just our breath, just our how much money is in our bank account, come on, who we date, how many likes we have on Facebook, how many hearts we get on Instagram. They're more convinced that there's something more at stake in all of this. And I believe what it is that they've come to understand and that I want us to understand. And I believe God, by way of his Holy Spirit here tonight, wants us to understand is that we must be a people that seek first the kingdom above all other kingdoms of this world, kingdoms of comfort, kingdoms of convenience, kingdoms of politics, kingdoms of technology, kingdoms of social media, kingdoms of entertainment. There are a lot of kingdoms in the world that we can seek after, but I believe there's only one that will bring us life and life more abundantly. Jesus himself said it last week. I have come to give life and life more abundantly. I've come not that, that you should perish or die, but I've come that you should have life. This kingdom that God wants us to seek is a kingdom full of life. And I want to invite you to consider it tonight. Right now in our world, there are so many things, as I mentioned, that we can seek after. Uh, from building a career to stepping into new relationships, figuring out this crazy thing called parenting for those of you that have kids. Come on. These realities place a demand on our lives, don't they? They sure do. And yet, each and every one of us is given the same amount of time each and every day to seek after what matters most. In 24 hours, there is 1,440 minutes. That equals 86,400 seconds, which means that each and every day, you guys and myself are given 86,400 seconds to decide what we are going to give our hearts to, to decide what we're going to seek after with all of our heart. It's pretty crazy if you think about it. Most of us aren't sitting there watching the seconds go by. But each and every one of us is given the same amount of time to do precisely what Jesus has asked of us. Meaning that if you're a doctor, a nurse, a stay-at-home mom, a practitioner, a banker, a construction worker, it doesn't matter who you are, what you do, you've been given the same amount of time by God as everybody else to do exactly what Jesus has asked of you. And here it is, to seek first the kingdom of God. Tonight, I want to talk about what it looks like for all of us to find our way in seeking first the kingdom of God. In a message, technically, that's part two to last week's, for keeping first things first. My hope is that as a church in this year, in 2021 and beyond, we would be marked by a desire a strong passion and a commitment to seek first this kingdom. 
and its king. As I said last week, to keep first things first is to recognize and value the importance of your relationship with God. It's to recognize the primacy of it. Is God in the first position of your life? We could say it this way, is he in the driver's seat? Or is God somewhere in the back seat? Like your toddler, you're just telling him to hush, you know? Shh. God, I got, I got this, I know where I'm going. It's all good, all right? I, I'm, I don't need to stop and ask for directions, man. You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't have to do that. I got this. It's all good. So God, you just, you know, you just be quiet. You just remain in the back seat. When I get into financial trouble, I'll make sure to bring you up. You know, when I'm sick and I need help and healing, I'll bring you up. But until then, God, you just stay back there and I got this. All right. Back in the day, in the horse and buggy days, it was called taking the reins, Right. We don't do that anymore. Well, some of you might. I don't know. Some of you like horses. But we don't take the reins anymore. We steer the car. And God doesn't want to be in the back seat. Come on. Because he knows that we have a tendency to drive ourselves into ditches and to drive off cliffs and to not see what's coming down the road. Years ago, while my wife and I were living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, my wife took our kids on a trip to Colorado via the 80, and in the middle of the night, she could not see. It was so dark that beyond maybe 20 feet in front of her headlights was a big 550-pound bull elk, and she smashed into it going 80 miles per hour on the freeway. It's actually a miracle that she's still alive and my children are still here today. I should have put this picture up because when you see the car, you see the twisted metal and the wreck, it, you, you, would, you would be astonished to know that there wasn't a single scratch on her body nor on my children's lives. Even more astonishing was when she hit that elk, the airbag exploded and knocked her wedding ring clear off of her finger, like the diamond on the setting of her marriage band exploded because the force of the impact was so strong. And so I rented a van and I drove down to pick up my wife and kids and I, I was just so thankful that they were alive and that they were okay. But the truth was, even with all of the technology and the sensors and the lights, she still wasn't able to see what was beyond her. And in the same way, I think for many of us, 2020 was a year that showed us that we don't see as well as we think we do. None of us expected to be where we are today. For some of you that lost jobs, you know exactly what I mean. And for some of you that got jobs, you know exactly what I mean. For some of you that walked with people that lost people they loved or that saw friends leave or get divorced or deal with depression like never before or deal with suicide or opioid addiction or divorce. I mean, 2020 was one of the worst years in the history of this country in relationship to all of those things I just mentioned. Mental health at an all-time low. Emotional health at an all-time low. Marriages fighting, people leaving. We experienced that within our own church. People that, that were married at the start of COVID that now divorced and don't even live in this state anymore. We don't always see down the road the best we think we do. And that's why we need God to be in the driver's seat. We need to trust that what he wants for us is the best possible way to live, guys. 
part of that is us learning how, as people of God, how to seek first the kingdom of God, how to keep first things first. We looked at two ways that we do that through prayer and fasting last week. But today I want to say this in starting. Number one, the kingdom of God is an upside-down reality. Some people say upside-down, inside-out, and first things first. I like that. But the kingdom of God is an upside-down reality, meaning things that make sense don't, and things that don't make sense do. There are things in the economy of God that don't seem to make sense. What do you mean, give and it shall be given unto you? That doesn't make any sense. I do math. I know that if you have four apples and you give away two and you're left with two, that you don't have more apples. But in the kingdom of God, it's not that way. Jesus says, give and I will give unto you so much so that you won't be able to contain it. How does that work? The kingdom of God is an upside down reality. Jesus came to show us this. And he said this about his kingdom in John chapter 18, verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. How many of you guys have seen people fighting lately on the internet? How many of you experienced your own family members, cousins, aunts, uncles, fighting with each other? What are they fighting over? They're fighting over the kingdom of this world. But Jesus says, my kingdom, (laughs) it ain't of this world, guys. It doesn't look like Republicans or Democrats or Libertarians or Greenpeace. It doesn't look like that. It's not of this world. If it were, my servants would have been fighting that I might actually have been delivered over to the political and religious leaders. He calls them here the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. I want us to get this so rooted in our hearts. Next time someone provokes you to argue with them on social media, don't take the bait. Don't do it. I know you probably are smarter than they are. But don't do it. Because Jesus' kingdom is not a manner of fighting. It's not a manner of arguing and debating. If it were, Jesus would have came in and, and wiped the deck with their faces. Jesus was a master debater. The, the, the practitioners of the law, all the, the greatest lawyers and Pharisees and Sadducees of their time came and would question Jesus, and he owned them. But he didn't do so to bring their attention to the things that they were focused on. He did so to elevate his followers' attention to the things that they were supposed to be focused on. And I believe it's because of this reality that Jesus invites us to consider the kingdom, to seek first the kingdom. This should also caution us against trying to bring about God's kingdom through fighting with our neighbors and friends and families. The truth is, nobody has won into the kingdom of God this way. I know, because I've tried. (laughs) I've tried to persuade. I've tried to convince. I've tried to eloquently in in a very kind way, make the case for certain things that I'm passionate about in, in Jesus. But the more I find myself getting riled up and upset and frustrated and angry and discouraged and hopeless, the more I find myself in a kingdom that is not of our Lord and King. The more I find myself rooted in this kingdom of the world and not the kingdom that Jesus came to bring us. Listen to what The Apostle Paul says about it in Romans 14. 
Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So not only is the kingdom of God not of this world, it's not physical in the sense that we can see it or touch it or eat it or drink it. In other words, it's not earthly and it's not concerned with earthly things like what we eat and drink and how we go about making rules about it. The context of this verse is really important. So let me help break it down for us. Paul is, is helping his church here understand how to be a kingdom people in the midst of a culture that was very pagan, very pluralistic. There were a lot of gods and deities that the people worshipped. For those of you that are familiar with Greek mythology, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And in the midst of this pagan polytheistic culture, Paul was trying to help his people learn how to think kingdom, learn how to embrace kingdom thinking. And so he's trying to help them learn how to not be judgmental about what people eat and drink and how they tend to things that they're interested in. At the same time, he's, he's cautioning, cautioning them how to use their liberties and their freedoms that they have in Christ Jesus to not be an excuse to do whatever just the heck they want to. And this should be, gosh, a siren call to us as Christians and believers right now. Because within our culture, you and I have been given so many freedoms and liberties to do all sorts of things. But God wants to caution us to, to think kingdom in the way that we go about exercising these freedoms and liberties, if I can say it that way. Here's what he says in verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to be a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother or a sister. You see, the goal for Paul, as it should be for us, is not to become a stumbling block or a hindrance to other people based on our preferences for earthly things. What else might we compare this kind of kingdom thinking to? Glad you asked. How about politics? Therefore, let us not pass judgment on how other people vote, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of them. How about parenting? Therefore, let us not pass judgment on how people parent. I remember when Candace and I first had our first uh, little baby girl, Cora, who's now almost 13. I know, oh, pray for me. Pray for my soul, please. I'm not ready to have a teenage girl. I'm really not. I remember the day of princess parties and tea parties and playing dolls. Yeah, that is long gone. That is long gone. But I remember when Candace and I first got pregnant with Cora, everybody came and told me what we needed to do. It was like, okay, here's the method. Here's the, the Gerber method. All right, you got to do it this way or your child's not going to turn out all right. And then I had people come and, and tell us and give us books and be like, no, you got to do it this method because if you do this method, your child's going to be fine. You got to let them cry, but it don't, no, you can't let them cry. Or you got to tend to them. No, you got to, don't attend to them. You got to, you got to breastfeed. No, you got to supplement. It's like, we were just like blitzed by like hundreds of people in our church telling us what to do, how to parent. <laughs> And we were thankful for most of it, but it was a bit exhausting. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on how people parent, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block. How about spending? Therefore, let us not pass judgment on how people spend their money. You see the point I'm getting at? You guys tracking with me? To be a kingdom people means to view all of these earthly matters as secondary in their importance. So whether you breastfeed or supplement or whether you're a vegetarian or a meat eater like me, it doesn't matter 
These issues are secondary. They're not as important as the kingdom of God. So, don't pass judgment, Paul says. In other words, don't be a judgmental Christian right now. Don't judge everybody. Not everybody's going to see the world the way you see it. And that's a good thing. How many know God created diversity for a reason? God, in his wisdom, in his omnipotence, saw how much better our lives would be with choices. I like Chick-fil-A, but I don't want to eat at Chick-fil-A every day. I'm thankful for Chipotle. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. But sometimes I don't want to pay for the extra guac. So Taco Bell is what I'm going to do. And the nacho fries are back, so come on, let's get some. Just kidding, we're fasting. (laughs) But how many are thankful for choices? We're thankful for diversity. We're thankful that God doesn't make everybody a uniform little robot. God doesn't want your, your, your thinking to be uniform. You know what's more important than uniformity? Unity. Unity is holding in tension two very different ideas, two different tastes, two different styles, two different ways of doing things. It holds intention because it's more concerned about the body. It's more concerned about what's being built up. And that is what Jesus wants for our lives as kingdom people, to seek first the things that matter, to focus on what Jesus is calling us to focus on. I am thankful for this fast, and I'm thankful to disengage right now because I believe right now we need to relearn how to engage so much of us have something to say. And it doesn't mean that just because you have something to say that it's right. It doesn't mean that, that what the world is being offered is our wisdom. But I, I want to say this to a church. The world needs wisdom right now. It needs people that can temper their words with salt and with wisdom and speak kindly in the midst of all of the arguing and yelling and debating and hostility Jesus came to bring peace to our hostility, to bring us into unity. Before Jesus went to the cross, it was the thing that he was sweating blood over. Oh God, that you would make them one as you and I are one. Why is it that Jesus, before he went to the cross, was looking down the halls of history and could see all the ways in which we would be attacked, that our unity would be attacked I think it, he saw the great battle that was in store for all of us as his church. I think he saw the different periods of time and could see and know how difficult it would be for us to remain one. So there's so many schisms and denominations today because we couldn't remain one. In the Psalms, it says that the Lord commands a blessing where brethren dwell together in unity. I believe that the church in this day and age needs to regain her unity. And I believe that God is going to bless it when we do. When we decide to stand with our brothers and sisters that maybe don't look like us or think like us or talk like us or pray like us or believe like us, it sends a message to the watching world that what we believe is bigger than preference. So whether you like Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, it don't matter. Whether you are a vegan 
or a vegetarian or a piscatarian or you're doing keto or you're doing Atkins or whatever, it doesn't matter. Whether you decide to have children or not or decide to get married or decide to stay single, it doesn't matter. What matters is the kingdom of God. What matters is loving people well and not causing them to stumble over our opinions about things. Romans 14, verse 5 through 6 says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days the same. Each person, here it is, underline this, should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains also abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see, the point Paul is making here is that we can approach the same issue in different ways and still find a way to honor Jesus about it. Come on, people. We got to be a church that honors well. And we don't honor we don't honor because it's convenient. We don't honor because it just goes along with what we believe or it, it falls in line with our politics. We honor because Jesus told us to honor. Because it's an upside-down reality. So you want to be the greatest, you better be the least. If you want, to, you want to receive, you better give. If you want to be honored, then you better be honoring other people. Honor isn't something that we do just when it's convenient or when the people that we honor scratch our back for us and tell us all the warm and fuzzy things that we want to hear. I mean, I like that, you know? Who doesn't love a good back scratch, right? Who doesn't love to be coddled and told how amazing and beautiful they are? But how hard and difficult is it to honor people when we're mad at them? Come on, husbands and wives, this is the battle each and every day. Well, she made me mad, so she doesn't deserve a vacation. Ha! I'll show her. Well, he made me mad, so he's sleeping on the couch for the next three weeks. I'll show him. No, not deep enough. She made me mad, so she doesn't get any sex from me tonight. Woo! Did it just get real? For you married couples, you know it just got real. Come on, guys. Honor is not just something we give when we get what we want. Honor is who we choose to become, even when it's difficult, even when it's painful. Because honor is the way of the kingdom. Jesus said, honor everyone. He said, honor the king. Honor the, the rulers and authorities that are in your life. Doesn't mean you have to like them. So whether you like Trump or Biden, it doesn't matter. You're, you're called to honor them. Regardless, that should actually make it easier for us. But why is it hard? Because we've elevated things above the kingdom. This is what God, I believe, wants to put his holy finger into tonight. See, a big part of the problem in our culture is that we've forgotten how to honor. We've forgotten how to do that. And we've allowed all these other forces from within our lives and from without our lives to destroy our honor codes and to keep us from honoring people. But this isn't the way. The way of the kingdom is to honor. And I pray that you would find this church to be a church that honors well. When Candace and I first came to this valley almost three years ago, my goodness, it's gone by so fast. The first thing I did was I, I went to all the other pastors in the valley and I honored them. And I said, I want to learn from you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be accountable to you. I, I'd love to know what you know because I've got blind spots, guys. I don't know it all. 
And so that was the very first thing I did. And then I went and I gave offerings to all the different ministries because I believe that God didn't just call us into this valley to compete with other people, but come on, to link arms, to be in unity with all of the voices that represent Jesus to people. How many of you guys know there are so many hurting people in this valley? So many people who need hope and healing and courage and life and freedom. And it's going to take all of us getting our act together to suspend our personal preferences and opinions about things and to come together to honor people well, to love people well, to reach people well together. And I believe that is the way of the kingdom. And so I would encourage you to do the same. Amen. Number two, the kingdom of God comes with its own set of demands and conditions. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. Now, the works of the flesh are this, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Some of you are like, man, it's been a long time since I've been to an orgy, but it's on the list. It's on the list, guys. And Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Oh, that should be like a dagger to our heart, guys, because all of us fall into some category here. Anger, anybody get angry easily? Might as well raise my hand this year. 2020, I was pretty pissed off. (laughs) Can I say that in church? I just did. Some of you found yourself struggling with all sorts of things here. What about dissensions and rivalries? Oh my goodness, 2020 was like the year of rivalry, right? Drunkenness. Come on, sexual morality. Some of you guys are going to bed allowing Netflix's soft porn to lull you to sleep. Hello, got a little quiet in here. Guys, I want to help us. This isn't about us coming in here to put on masks and pretend. If you want to do that, you can find another church. We're going to get real. We're going to be real. Because God loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. Yes, come as you are. But be prepared to be changed. Because God loves you so much that he's not going to allow you to stay the way he found you. And this shepherd ain't going to either. There's too much at stake. When I pray with you and when I walk with you through your dark valleys, I know that there's a cost and I know that there's too much at stake for me to just get up here and play pony and run around and pretend. We're not into building hype machines. We're not in here to perform. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to see the kingdom of God advance in the earth. We're here to see people that were in darkness come into light. We're here to see the captives set free. We're here to see the hopeless find hope. Come on, that's what we're about, guys. That's why God called us here, amen? So in the same way that Paul tells us in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is is a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, he's also telling us what it is not. It's helpful to know what is, what is and what isn't the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom is not about the flesh, meaning you can't orchestrate it through all of your works and attempts and striving and working. It's not going to work. He's warning us, don't do it. Don't do these things, guys. Don't get caught up in all of this. It's not going to bring about kingdom life and fruit in your life. Those who practice this will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning they won't experience the fullness of everything Jesus came to give us. And that's not what God wants for us. He wants us to find righteousness, peace, and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom is all about. So I need to say this to us. If you want to seek the kingdom, you have to practice the kingdom. It's not enough just to believe it. It's a good place to begin, right? I believe what you said, Jesus. Okay, good. We've got some things settled. But if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, if you want to, in other words, experience this righteousness and this peace and this joy in the Holy Spirit, then you got to practice it. So let me ask you, what are you currently practicing? I... Right now, I'm in the middle of giving my daughter guitar lessons, and each and every day, I come into her room, and I say, how's practice coming? And normally, she doesn't want to disappoint me, so she's like, good, it's going great. And I'm like, well, how come I haven't heard you play the guitar in like three days? <laughs> oh, you know, Dad, it's just, you know, I'm just busy, you know, doing my thing, you know? All right, well, you have to practice. You want to live it out, you got to practice it. For those of you that are into sports or into climbing or skiing, you understand, you got to get up on those slopes this year. As crappy as the snow is, I know. It's sad. <laughs> Makes me sad every day. But you got to practice, right? You got to get out. You got to get into the motion of it. You got to get into the rhythm of it. Because Jesus is all about rhythm. Right? Rhythm. Beat. Cadence. Flow. Beat. Cadence. Flow. God wants us to get into the rhythm of the kingdom. This is about recalibrating our heart to move to the sway of his grace and not the sway of the world, the way that it wants to stop your heart from working. I pray that tonight Jesus would reset your heart to move to the rhythms of grace, to move to the rhythms of his love, to move to the rhythms of his kingdom. That's right. I used to freestyle, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Aaron's like, yeah. It's like, uh, don't. <laughs> in another life, in another life, Matt and I were both rock stars and rappers, weren't we, Matt? You got to practice it. You got to get into the rhythm of it. You got to let it start to move you. What do you allow God to move in your life? What are you allowing to move your heart? Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Did you catch that? Not everything that you have the freedom to go about doing now that Jesus has forgiven your sin is actually going to help you. It's not going to build you up. Not everything you practice and give your life to is going to build your life up. Quite the opposite. There are many things that actually tear us down. So how do we get on with the building up of our lives? Well, Jesus said it, Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things. What things, Jesus? All the things that we worry about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? What's our bank account look like on Tuesday? What's it going to look like next Tuesday? Who are we going to marry? Who's going to love us? Who are we going to love? All of these things, Jesus says, the Gentiles seek after. The word Gentile here was very specific. It means somebody who doesn't have a covenant with God. A pagan. A heathen. <laughs> 
what you all were until Christ moved in. Amen? He says, listen, I know you're worried about what job you're going to have a year from now or if you're going to even have one. I know you're worried about what you're going to eat and drink and what you're going to wear because you got to look good to the ball. I get it. But don't concern yourself with these things. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And guess what I'll do? I'll take care of it. I'll take care of your wardrobe. It's all good, ladies. I got you. All right? I'll take care of your purse. I'll take care of your shoes. It's going to be good. All right? Gentlemen, I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Don't freak out. Don't be anxious. Paul would go on to say, don't be anxious for anything. We're like, yeah, but what about some things? (laughs) What about my family? Mm. What about my neighbor? Mm. What about that person who hurt me and rejected me? Mm. Certainly I should be concerned about those things, right, Jesus? Jesus says, don't worry about it. There's enough trouble for today. Let today worry about itself. We looked at this last week. But you, and this is my charge to us tonight, you, courageous church, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, meaning my way. Do it my way. And all this other stuff, I'll take care of. Can we pray? Father God, thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for calling us together to seek first your kingdom. Lord, you said in Matthew 7, 7 to ask, and it will be given to you to seek, and you will find to knock, and it will be opened unto you. You said in Jeremiah 29, 13, that if you seek me and find me, you will seek me with all of your heart. Jesus, you said to keep first things first, and that is our desire. That is our passion. That is our greatest love. Jesus, that you would be our first, our one and only, the one that we seek, the one that we live for, the one that our hearts beat for, the one that moves us with compassion, the one that fills us with kindness, the one that gives us peace that the world can't give or take away, the one that fills us with joy that becomes our strength. Jesus, it's you and you alone. So Father, I pray tonight, Lord, if there's anybody in this place that doesn't know you, God, that you would encounter them, yes, that you would reveal your heart to them. Even now in this moment, Lord, I want to give anyone in this room the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, to make the greatest decision that you'll ever make, and that's to allow Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. We don't ever want to end our time together without giving you the chance to pray this prayer, and it's very simple, but it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have kept me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God, the righteous one, the Messiah, the Savior. I believe and confess that you died on that cross for me. I may not even understand it fully yet, but I believe it. And I believe, God, that you raised Jesus to life again. I ask that you would come and raise me and give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit all the days of my life and make all things new. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said amen and amen. Can we put our hands together? Amen and amen. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at Courageous Church. 
Indeed.com. 